the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I'm reading tonight uh, in the King James Version. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one in his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they had heard, and all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Praise be to thee, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We come, you may be seated. We come now to the time of the offertory, and the offering that 
is being collected tonight goes to a very special ministry in the larger church that we are a part of, the Presbyterian Church in America. It is a mercy fund that supplies uh, widows, orphans, families uh, who are destitute who have served the church. The PCA doesn't have a pension fund as such, and because many of our ministers serve very small charges, very small parishes in rural areas across the country, uh, many of them have meager funds at retirement after a lifetime of service, and particularly if they go home to be with the Lord and they leave behind them a widow and sometimes uh, other dependents, uh, these funds are used uh, for those families. I can say out of personal experience as a senior pastor, I was able to minister to a retired minister in our uh, congregation with this fund, and I know that it's used in a remarkable way. As we give, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you reminded us through your Son it is more blessed to give than to receive, and this season is about giving your gift to us, and so we give generously out of hearts overflowing with love for what you have done for us. We pray that these gifts may be multiplied and used in, a, in great ways to support those who have served you and proclaimed the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh uh-huh. 
Tonight our scripture readings are taken from both the Old Testament and the New Testament for the message. And from the Old Testament is from the first book of the Bible, from Genesis. And it is taken specifically from uh, verse 16. And it has one particular phrase. It's one of the, my favorite phrases in all of the Bible and is appropriate for tonight as we are looking at the star of Bethlehem. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16. The inerrant and the infallible word of the living God. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And from the New Testament, the gospel according to St. Matthew, in chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 and 2 and then intercept Matthew's narrative at verse 9 and read through verse 12. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Verse 9. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And let me preach as if never to preach again, as a dying man to dying men. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It was C.S. Lewis who remarked about the miracles in the Bible and the attempt by so many to deconstruct them that we sometimes can in science get the note, the notes to the poem, but 
not have the poem, but he said, in the Bible, we have the poem itself, not the notes. Or to put it another way, we sometimes can focus so much on the notes of the music that we fail to listen to the music. In my ministry, I have read peer-reviewed journal articles from astronomers and other scientists about the origin and nature of that Christmas star that appeared, down to dates and uh, constellations and comets and supernova that might have appeared. The best explanation that I ever read came from a particular laboratory who concluded after all of their studies, studies that led them to believe that they might have it right, but in conclusion they said, we, we really don't know. That was the best analysis I've seen. The Bible doesn't give an explanation, and I would be hesitant to, to say whether it was a, a supernova or a comet, I don't know, but I do know it was a miracle. I, I don't know the notes, the notations to this poem, I just know the poetry, that there was a divine sign given that moved at the impulse of God's will that moved with purpose and guided wealthy, wise men, Gentiles from another part of the world, three maybe, as we said the last time we looked at this passage, three gifts, yes, could have been more, uh, uh, astrologers, astronomers, dash scientists, princes, but certainly, probably minimum three, we don't know. But this star was so important to them, and the star itself takes on a powerful role in the Christmas story. It leads them to Jesus. It fascinates Herod, the so-called king of the Jews, although his lineage was not from Jacob, but from Esau, so in, in truth he wasn't uh, a son of Israel. Uh, he was uh, appointed by the Roman government to look over that, uh, that part of their possession. It fascinated him, uh, and he was interested in the star, but he was interested in the notations, not the poetry. And of course, the star would then the star that led them across, perhaps across the desert, across the mountains, would then literally move more like a UFO than a, than a predictable star in its orbit or a predictable comet, and it would move over right over the top. Now, I'm not saying it was a UFO, but I'm saying the, it was a UFO in one sense, wasn't it? It was God's UFO, unidentifiable object, a luminary in the sky, 
But we know what it was. It was God's star. It was, in fact, it was more than that. More specifically, the Gentiles call it His star. It's not just the star of Bethlehem. It's really the Christ star. We call it the Christ candle because of that. It's His light. The Gentiles named it His star. And His star actually moved over the very manger scene and allowed them to go in and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I very much appreciate, pardon me as I do get a sip, I appreciate the, the national interest in recovering the phrase Merry Christmas. I, I, I'm very thankful for that, as I know many of you are. But I'm interested in going farther to recovering the wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas. And the wonder of Christmas really is the, the thing that gave birth to the wrappings and the gift-giving and the candles and the, the beautiful Christmas trees and the, the, the hymns that we have been singing and all of the, the, the beauty. You see, if you only look at that, you're only looking at the wrapping of the present and you haven't opened the gift inside. I think this passage helps us to recover the wonder, oh, the blessed wonder of Christmas. And it is, I have to say, the Christmas Eve service has been for me and my wife, from the beginning of our ministry, probably our favorite service. I'm not sure I can fully speak for my wife, but I, I say for me, it is. Because of the incarnation. C.S. Lewis also said, all miracles in the Christian faith begin with the incarnation, and everything else comes from there. That God became a man, a human all the other miracles flow from that. And the star was a servant of God to focus on that, to give witness to that. That was its role. In fact, that is the role of, the, of a divine sign in the Bible. So tonight I want to look at two features or two aspects of divine signs taken from the star, applied, uh, we can see how they work in the Bible very briefly, but then applied to, to our lives. And the first thing about a divine sign is, is quite simply a divine sign always fulfills God's purpose. It's not for show. It's not for uh, a demonstration of anything other than a specific part of God's saving work of having man and woman return to a new heaven and a new earth. 
As John Milton said, not my son who's with us tonight, but uh, our, our great uncle of some years ago, uh, Paradise Restored. All of the signs are about leading in one small component or another the grand design of leading us home. Not home merely to, to the state between now uh, and, and then, not when we die and we're caught up to be with the Lord, which we are, and we are present with Him as soon as we die, it's where we go. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but there's coming a time the greater vision is a full cosmic revitalization, a new heaven and a new earth. And divine signs are all part of that grand, glorious story. Whether they're healings, whether they are a star in the sky. And the greatest sign of all that was given was, of course, the resurrection from the dead of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the, the great sign. The sign that we have today is, is, is not a star, but His Word and His Spirit and his presence, his promises which have been fulfilled, a word made more sure, Peter said. When we were in India teaching and preaching and teaching in seminaries, my family and I, I had the opportunity to speak to a number of people, a number of Christians who first understood they were in remote regions of mountainous India, and they were having dreams. And if you talk to any missionaries from India, they're likely to tell you about this, because it's quite common of dreams to Muslim people that lead them to Christians who then share the gospel with them. And they attribute the dreams, of course, to Almighty God, because it results in them coming to hear the preaching of the Word, or someone sharing the gospel with them, or in one way or another, they are led to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are led, we have the Word of God all around us. We are often led by our parents or by a loved one or a teacher or a coach, and they become signs. Sometimes the signs that come to us are, may seem as odd as a star, but they come to us with a specific purpose. God is using people and events that are sometimes they are sometimes odd to us. They don't fit into what we would think would be a natural scheme. Sickness or disease or things that are bad in and of themselves, things that even God condemns and because He says, I do not willingly afflict the children of men, but He transforms these harmful things into signs that show us 
and lead us not to the manger anymore, but, but to the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Signs, divine signs, his word, his spirit, always lead us to him. He's left us with a divine sign. He knew we needed to see and to taste. And he took simple elements, the bread and the cup. And from these, he gives us a sign to recalibrate our lives on him, on his death, to draw together with each other and commune with each other and also to look forward to his coming again, the second advent. The divine signs always have a purpose. The passage uh, that we read is beautiful. As, and, and I love that passage from Genesis. And he made the stars also. Uh, almost as an afterthought. He's creating all of the universe... And Moses writes, and he made the stars also. That's the poetry. I don't know the notes to that. I don't know the science to that. But I, the wonder of the Creator, making those stars and then deploying them the way he does for his purposes. And clearly, secondly, God uses the divine signs to lead the lost to Jesus, to lead the broken to Jesus, to lead the spiritually hungry and thirsty to Jesus. The star came to rest right over the place where Jesus was in verse 9. His word and his spirit lead us to Christ. If a sign leads you to anywhere or anyone other than Christ, it's counterfeit. A sign, a divine sign leads us to the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation and for the healing of our souls, for our guidance and direction in this life, and for safety in eternal life. When I was a, a little boy of about four years old, I had severe asthma. I was reared by my Aunt Eva, and we lived far out in the country. We, without an automobile and without neighbors right around us with an automobile, and without a hospital anywhere nearby, it was, it was absolutely inaccessible. There would have been one in a large city, but in those days, that city was just as well been uh, Hong Kong 
that was hard to, to get to. And as I had an attack, my Aunt Eva ran out of home remedies. And she began to pray, and she realized that it might be possible that that plumber by day and preacher by night, Brother Duvall, could be at that little rough-hewn chapel down the gravel road, the tabernacle. And you know what? My, my Aunt Eva was of uh, Methodist Episcopal extraction. That was her rearing and, and very uh, uh, formal uh, rearing, but she loved the Lord. But she picked me up and she prayed as she ran carrying me to the tabernacle, which was basically a pine box of a sort of building. And she opened the door, and there was Brother Duvall studying in his overalls, wrench hanging out of his pocket, and, you know, Bibles hanging out of the other side. And he ran, and he picked me up. He was a very tall man, much taller, of course, than Aunt Eva. And he held me, and he tried to help me medically with the limited lay knowledge that he had. And Aunt Eva was screaming, pray for him, Brother Duvall, pray for him. That's the only hope. And he laid me down. And perhaps it was the serenity of his presence or that little chapel where I had previously heard such beautiful hymn singing. Or I had seen people praying for my father. But I began to breathe as Brother Duvall prayed for me. And I never had asthma again. Now that instance led me with a number of other incidents in my life to the manger and to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior of sinners, as the healer, sometimes physically, sometimes not. These are in his secret counselors, secret counsel. Last year, I saw an army doctor, and he told me, he said, you have asthma. And I said, well, it's come back. And I told him the story I just told you, and he smiled. He said, well, the Lord gave you a reprieve for most of your life, chaplain. I said, yes, that was his will so that I could glory in him and focus and always remember that. And now it's back, and it reminds me of that. So even the affliction is a blessing that reminds me, you see, of his goodness. A divine sign always 
leads us to Jesus. It never stands alone. The star of Bethlehem, there's so much we don't know about it, but we know that it was a divine sign, fulfilling God's will, leading the Gentiles to be saved, fulfilling God's Old Testament promises, fulfilling a covenant promise that He was going to reach out and save the Gentiles, that they would be brought in as sons and daughters of Abraham, and you and I are. Whatever your nationality, your ethnicity, whatever your background is, it doesn't matter. It is by faith we are all God's children through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that star, that and he made the stars also. That star brought them there. It's his spirit and his word that now does the work. I close with this. A few weeks ago when I was, I was here, I told you the story about my trip to northern Albania, those of you who were here. I, I, I speak Albanian, that's a long story. I was in naval intelligence. For some of you, uh, that is a contradiction of terms, but I was in naval intelligence. And my job was to spy on Albanians. Well, later I went and I preached through Albania as the uh, walls were... The Iron Curtain was crumbling, and uh, as I was there, I was up in the north in a town of Kuks, way up north on the border of old Yugoslavia, and uh, I told you the story of how we were, thought we were arrested, and we went and we shared the gospel for about three hours with the uh, city fathers there. What I didn't tell you is that we had a communion service planned for later in the evening, and I had English They were all uh, English friends with me, English uh, missionaries who were with me, but I was the only one that could speak Albanian, and I was the only minister. So uh, they asked me before the trip, we we planned this, uh, that I would conduct a communion service during the trip. Most were Anglicans. Uh, There were several other denominations there, including the Presbyterian. But I used the Book of Common Prayer, and I said at 7 p.m. we'll meet. They've prepared a room for us. They prepared a a large table. They didn't quite understand. These were Muslims, uh, moderate, uh, lackadaisical, if you will. They were cultural Muslims. And uh, so they just had a round table, and we sat around it, and... uh, As we were going there, one of the men who had heard me present the gospel came to me and he said, can I, may I participate? And I said, this is a ceremony instituted by Jesus Christ our Lord to remember his death. It is for his children who have been baptized, that is, who have been engrafted publicly into his body, the church. And he he sadly shook his head in affirmation. He said, well, could I observe? 
I said, well, of course, by all means, we want you there. All the services of the church are always open. Yes. So we went through the service. It was uh, a very touching and meaningful and beautiful service. And I, I remember as I, I broke the loaf and, and lifted up the bread and, and gave the words of institution saying, this is my body given for you, that I watched his, his face as he, as he was staring at the bread. As I lifted the cup and showed the cup to all of my brothers and sisters and said, this is the cup of salvation the new covenant in his blood, which is given for the remission of the sins of many, that his head bowed. We took communion. And everyone left but the Muslim man, and he stayed behind. He, was, he wasn't moving from his chair. He was at the other end of the big round table. And I went over to him and I put my arm around him and I knelt down to where he was to see that he was, he was weeping in his, or I should say at least he was holding back his weeping. And he looked at me. This is a man who had previously argued with me during the three hours as I presented the gospel. He argued about doctrine. When he saw the bread and the cup, he looked at, at me with teary eyes and a penitent face, and he said, Tosh un kuptoi which is translated, now I understand. And he became a Christian. The sign led him to Jesus and spoke to him in a way that the notes couldn't, but the music could. The poetry of the sacrament reached him. Oh God, send wonder again into our hearts. Oh God, revive us again. with a vision of your glory. Let's pray. On this beautiful Christmas Eve, we give you the glory, Lord Jesus. The stars, all of the heavenly, creative, 
objects, all of the earthly objects, the living creatures, all of creation is a sign that there is a God. And sometimes you use special signs and the past, and in these days you have brought us your wonderful sign of your word and your spirit working through people who speak forth the name of Jesus out of their own lives and what you have done for us. We pray that tonight we may recapture the wonder of your salvation in our own lives and families. And that as we come to the table of Jesus Christ, we may have renewal as we look at the bread and the cup and as we taste the emblems of our salvation communing with thee and with each other and with all of the church around the world and those who have gone before who worship you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you stand as we prepare our hearts, mind, our lives to receive communion? of what Christ has done, what he's doing, and what he will continue to do. Christ is born